0: Well, good morning. So I was supposed to be in India uh, all last week, and I'm so grateful that God arranged it so that I didn't go. Uh, What an important week this has been for us as a church family, and I'm just so grateful to God. Um, So people keep asking me, are you disappointed and all that kind of stuff, and I'm really not. There's nowhere that I would have rather been than here this week. Uh, But I will give you a quick update on how things went in India uh, while I wasn't there. Uh, I was supposed to co-teach with another man, uh, so we got on Skype on Friday, and I trained him to do my sessions. He's a great guy, and so he uh, took the whole load himself along with having to do a, he had to bless a bunch of graduates from a sewing school that and uh, like all these different things that they were dragging him around the city to do. And so he, I'm sure, is totally exhausted, should be landing back in, uh, in O'Hare here pretty quick. But he said that the uh, pastors were extremely receptive to the materials and that their leader uh, wants to continue to use them and see them expanded uh, throughout his whole network of people. So it's really exciting to see what the potential will be there. And uh, if I ever get a visa going into the, to get into the country of India, then I hope to go there sometime early next year in order to uh, continue that training. So things are still good and God is still on his throne, which sometimes it's silly, but sometimes we need a reminder of that. We are continuing our series through the book of Exodus. Would you like to join me in chapter 20? 20. We have finished the mini-series through the Ten Commandments. Um, The Ten Commandments were given in the context of serious shock and awe. Do you remember how it started back in chapter 19? Uh, I'm going to be looking here at the end of chapter 20, but if you remember the lead-up to the Ten Commandments in chapter 19, it says... Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. That's the context of receiving the Ten Commandments. So when these people got the Ten Commandments for the first time, it was while they were standing at the foot of Mount Sinai in a storm, a major storm. There was thunder. There was lightning. It goes on. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord God had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. So that was the context of receiving the Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments came in the midst of almost a natural disaster. This was a major storm, and not just a storm, but you've got fire and smoke. It was a really amazing visual that was happening at this moment. Back in verse 20, after the Ten Commandments, Here's the people, they're still standing down at the bottom of this mountain. And verse 18, Exodus 20 verse 18 says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and tremble and they stood far off. So you've, you've got to imagine this. What an amazing event. I remember driving through a really big storm when I was a child. We were on a family vacation and we were in one of those old... VW vans, what were those called? The, it wasn't a Vanagon, it was before Vanagon, it was just like a bus, yeah, it was even before the Vanagon, it was an old VW bus, you know, with linoleum on the floor and you could walk around, no seat belts and everything, it had a refrigerator in it, it was awesome. And um, I still remember the smell of that van, you know, you could see the ground, you could see the pavement going underneath through little holes in the, in the, in the floor of that van, and uh, <laughs> so here we are, and I'm guessing that we were in the middle of Nebraska or something like this, because it was completely flat, and it was dark at night, and uh, thunder was striking all around us. You could see lightning, uh, I mean, lightning striking all around us, and thunder, and super heavy wind, and this bus, you know, was just getting tossed around, because the, uh, the wind was very intense, and you know, 35 years later, I still remember it pretty clearly, I remember Uh, you know, things that my mom was saying and that kind of a thing, because it was a disturbing moment. It was an intense storm. It would probably be fun if we were able to share storm stories here, because probably a bunch of you have more interesting storm stories. Libby and I lived in Chicago. We had to go into the basement once, and the air pressure from that storm was hurting our ears, and, uh, you know, when we finally came out uh, after that storm, uh, there were trees that were down all around our house and things like this. Um, so this is the kind of thing that they were experiencing when the Ten Commandments were delivered. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we usually think of the Ten, Command- ah, the Ten Commandments and we think about them written on little tablets and stuff and you know, picket and stuff so that they'll be put up at the local courthouse and all of that kind of thing. And we forget what they really are and how they were really delivered. So here they are and they're standing in a storm. They're standing in a storm And Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, very intense scene, and uh, just basic shock and awe. This is God's version of shock and awe. Reminds me of Psalm 29. Let me just read this to you. Just let let this psalm happen to you. It's an amazing psalm. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Can you imagine that? The voice of the Lord going through some kind of forest or woods full of cedars, and they're all splintering apart because God has said, said something. It says, he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. It's an amazing psalm. And I think the psalmist is reminded of what happened at Mount Sinai, the voice of God described as the loudest, most powerful thing that anybody's ever heard that you could ever experience. And then what is with the trumpet? Have you noticed how many trumpets appear in this passage? And nobody, no human being is blowing a trumpet here because they're all freaking out at the bottom of this mountain, watching the smoke, watching the fire, watching the thunder and the lightning and this incredible uh, this credible display of, of God, and yet there's this really intensely loud sound that they're saying sounds a lot like a trumpet. They're saying it sounds like a trumpet, it sounds like a shofar. We see the same thing at the second coming of Christ. In Matthew 24, Jesus is telling us what that will be like. Uh, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Prophets talk about that as well. That uh, the Messiah is going to come with the sound of a trumpet. Just some really loud, like kind of the end of a basketball game times 50 type of a sound. It's over. And here comes Jesus. Jesus. Storms and loud, wild sounds happen all throughout the Bible, and they seem to be connected to very important events in the Bible. Uh, I think there are four earthquakes in the book of Revelation, but it's hard to figure out if it's a cyclical type thing or if they're referring to the same uh, earthquake in different places. But uh, earthquakes are mentioned in four different places in the book of Revelation, and the biggest one is at Armageddon. The final battle, Revelation 16, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since, the man, since man was on the earth, so great was that earthquake. Now, there was also an earthquake when Jesus died on the cross, if you remember that. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, this is Matthew 27, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook And the rocks were split. So there are these trumpets and earthquakes and thunder that happen at many parts of the Bible, especially these important events, uh, natural disasters occurring and uh, somehow intensifying the event. God drawing our attention to the importance of that event, reminding us that he is great. In fact, this may even be God's purpose for creating storms and natural disasters. It may be that the reason that such things exist, we all know what a storm is, we all know what thunder is, and so on. It may be that the reason God does that is so that he can teach us things about himself. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. You see, creation teaches us about God. And we know this about mountains and stars and sunsets, but those are things that we can look at with safety, right? You can, you can see a mountain from far away. You can see a beautiful uh, landscape. You can look at Saturn's rings through a telescope. But nature sometimes consumes us. Storms and fires and sharks and tsunamis. There's a wildness to creation. And I think even that instructs us about the Creator. He is not tame, He is awesome. We see this especially at the crucial moments of history. Sinai, the crucifixion. There was something weird that happened even at the resurrection. Some kind of an earthquake that resulted in the stone being moved away. We see it at the second coming. We see it at Armageddon. So what are the implications of this? Natural disasters, earthquakes, big displays of nature function as a theology class for us. And I would argue that theology is always meant to be visceral, and it helps us when God does this, when we tie the doctrine that could be just in the dusty books to what we see and learn about God in nature, it allows theology to become visceral, visceral theology. The viscera is, you know, the stuff in your gut, the organs and things like that. And God intends for doctrine and theology. Wow, there's crazy stuff going on in the building here, isn't there? (laughs) Uh, God intends for theology and doctrine to be experienced viscerally, not cerebrally. We do need to think hard about doctrine and theology. We do need to know God, and there's a complexity to it and so forth. But it needs to go from our head deep into our bellies, we need a visceral theology, and I think God does this several times throughout, scriptures, throughout the scriptures, especially during these important events so that we understand certain things about him. And the Israelites get it. They respond exactly how any normal human being would respond. They're standing at the base of this mountain. They get the Ten Commandments. You've got all this stuff going on. And they respond in a very normal and healthy way in verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. So you can see them, they all gathered and they're all here and they're seeing this stuff and they're backing up. They're like, whoa, 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 as they're getting the Ten Commandments. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. So their response to getting the Ten Commandments is, don't let this God come anywhere near us because he's going to kill us. What we've just seen as this display of God's awesomeness is so disturbing you go talk to him you go talk to him because we don't want to talk to him if we come into contact with this god we're going to die and so they were so terrified they didn't even want to talk to god now that is an understandable response to what they've seen they're shaking they're backing up and they're asking for a mediator they want moses to speak to god instead of them And down in verse 21, Moses agrees. Verse 21, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. They've learned an important thing about God here, that God is so holy and so great that he cannot be approached without dying. We are sinners and we cannot approach God without dying unless we have a mediator. We need somebody to make it possible for us to come into God's presence because we're sinners. And this is the, this is the God that we're trying to interact with, this incredible God where they, were told, where they were told, look, here are some boundary lines. If anything goes across this boundary line, including a goat, it's dead. Because the holy, one, true, awesome, glorious, majestic God is taking up residence on this mountain for a moment. And so nothing can come near this Unless Moses goes up and you got a mediator. And this is a role that Jesus would fill in the New Testament. More on that in just a few minutes. But Moses is explaining something more. So they're learning. They're in a theology class. This incredible uh, natural disaster type thing that's happening here is a theology class for them. And they've got a couple of things they need to learn. And one thing that they're learning, and it's a good thing they're learning, is they need a mediator. like, we don't want to talk to God, we need a mediator. So immediately they learn something really interesting. But they're missing the key thing. Moses tells them exactly what they need to learn. So they're going to get, let's say it's a class, they're going to get about a C on the exam. (laughs) Because they've got something, but they don't have everything they need to have. They don't have the A-level response. To what's going on here. Moses says to the people in verse 20, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Let me read that again. God has come to test you. In other words, all this thunder and the smoke and fire and all this kind of stuff, it's a test. It's a test. And the idea here is that you would realize that God is so great that you would fear him and then come to the conclusion, I better not sin. I better not sin because God is holy. So that's the class. That's the theology class. That's what needs to be learned here. God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. So we're back to the idea of a theology class. Their response is we need a mediator. We don't want to talk to him, but they need to go further. They need to get to the A level and they need to say, we better not sin because we're in the presence of a holy God. It's concerning that they don't go to that next level. And you might say, well, you're reading into that. How do you know? Well, think about this. What, what, the first two commandments are don't have any God before me and don't make any idols. And he reminds them of that. And right here, Exodus 20, verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, he's going to review the Ten Commandments now for chapters and kind of elaborate on them. So at one point, he says, don't steal in the Ten Commandments. Then in some of the chapters that follow, he's going to have whole chapters on property rights. So he's expanding on it. And here he begins again in verse 22. You shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. This is basic review of what you just got. What is the first thing that they do after they got the Ten Commandments and Moses was gone for a little while? They made it. They made a golden calf. They broke the first two commandments and the review Like the review lesson. They've even had the review lesson in their theology class here. And they break it. They fail their theology class pretty quick after taking the class. In the next paragraph here in Exodus, God gives them more instructions. Verse 24 he says, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings. You see, they probably have ideas in their mind of what religion ought to look like. They would like to worship God in a certain way. And they understand what an altar looks like. And they understand what this and that looks like. And, and God is basically saying, look, this is how you're going to worship me. No, no, no. Hang on. This is how you will worship me. First of all, you will worship me and no other God. Second. Here is how you will worship me. And he says, he says, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it probably because that's what other religions did. So Les would have loved this, right? Because you could have just taken original rocks, not chopped in any kind of piece, but spend the time to make this altar and fit these natural rocks together in such a way that it creates your altar because you're not going to be chopping them. We don't want bricks, which is unfortunately how every artist makes the altar, right? When When you see altars, probably not but I can't do anything about it. Don't touch a stone with a hammer. Right. No tools. No tools involved here. Right. We don't want anything ruining these rocks. We want to put them all together in just the way that they, in just the way that they need to be, but don't touch them with a the tool. Amen. And you shall not, this one is funny, actually. I'm not sure that it intends to be funny, but I'm immature, and so I think this is funny. Verse 26, it says, you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness not be exposed on it. I just think that's interesting. (laughs) Need to be on ground level here, because you guys are wearing robes, and we don't want to, we don't want any of that. (laughs) Men in robes not a good thing so let's keep this thing at ground level (laughs) but the point here is that God is saying look you will worship me and no one else and second here's how you will worship me and I'm going to make I'm going I'm communicating this with thunder and fire and smoke and earthquake ground is trembling you're trembling I'm communicating this so that you really understand this is exactly how you need to do it don't do anything else their response should have been whoa God is glorious, God is majestic, God is terrifying, we need a mediator, and we better get this right. Like, let's pay attention to, what did he just say again? What did he just say? Okay, well, let's make sure that when we worship, we worship exactly like that. So, four important things to learn about this passage. I'm going to blow through these pretty quickly. Four important things to learn about this passage, learn from this passage. First of all, God is awesome and great. And he's worthy of fear and obedience. Second, God commands us to worship him. Third, God commands us to worship him in a specific way, not just however we want. And four, we require a mediator to worship him. So I think that's a fairly good, fairly reasonable response to what we see from this passage. Now, so far, we've preached a fairly decent Jewish sermon. But now let's see if we can kick it into sort of gear where we'd get kicked out of a synagogue. How does the New Testament impact these four things that we've seen? He's awesome and great. and He's worthy of fear and obedience. He commands us to worship him. He commands us to worship him in a specific way. And we require a mediator. Now, how does Jesus make a difference in all of this? Or does he? Now, this is where it gets kind of interesting. I'd encourage you to join me in Hebrews chapter 12, because we'll park there for the rest of our time here. Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author refers back to what happened at Sinai, and he says, look, it's different now. And here's what, it, here's what it's currently like for a believer. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 In Hebrews 12, verse 18, the author says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and uh, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. He's obviously referring to Sinai there, the giving of the law, Exodus 20, right where we're parking here, right where we've been for the last few months. This is what the author of Hebrews is referring to. Verse 20, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that even Moses said, I tremble with fear. All right, so we're reminded of Exodus 20. And now this author is going to say, okay, you know that story. You've heard that story. Here's how, here's how a Christian reads it. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. Now that's a totally different mountain. Totally different mountain, not Mount Sinai, out in the wilderness, away from where God wants to have his people and so on, this terrifying experience. You've come to Mount Zion where God's presence is. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering. Festal gathering, that's like celebration. Okay? So the first mountain is surrounded by smoke and fire and lightning and earthquake and everybody's terrified. Now, as Christians, we're approaching God in the context of a celebration. So it's not terror, but joy. It's a totally different scene. Verse 23, and to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than Abel. So this is a beautiful vision that the writer of Hebrews is giving to us. It's very reassuring. We're not coming to Sinai where everybody was scared and literally shaking because of God's display of power. But instead, now it's daytime We're surrounded by angels who are celebrating. We're surrounded by this great host of witnesses who have gone before us. It's this amazing place where God's presence is, and we're walking right into his presence. It's an incredible thing. Two powerful visuals here. The first visual being Sinai, and the second visual being uh, Zion. One of them marked with terror, and the other marked with joy. But the writer of Hebrews is concerned that... His readers have gotten a little bit lazy and have forgotten that God is awesome. Okay? Since Jesus came, we don't have any more Sinai anymore. That's scary stuff. And you've basically forgotten that God is majestic and awesome. And so here's what he says, verse 25. So you would think the response to this is relax. You know, God is warm and snugly now. He's not this terrifying God that'll kill you on the spot. It's not what he says. What he says in verse 25, he says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only earth, but the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain therefore so now here's the conclusion of all of this christian therefore christian let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken in other words there's going to be some massive earthquake and it's coming and it's going to shake everything it's going to be such a natural disaster here that everything is going to be destroyed other than the kingdom of god and what lasts and Again, read through, like, do a little search for earthquake in the book of Revelation, and you'll constantly see cities falling, cities breaking into pieces, people dying, and so on. And at the end of all of it, you have the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. So, therefore, let us be grateful receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So sometimes people will say that the God of the Old Testament is, you know, this angry God who kills people and uh, there's, it's terrifying and so on. The God of the New Testament, you know, he's just all squishy and happy and really easy to interact with him. You know, it's the same God, same God. The only difference is that there's a d- better covenant and there's a better mediator. So the covenant in the Old Testament has to do with the law, obey the law and you'll be on good terms with me. Covenant in the New Testament has to do with grace. Repent for your sins, put your trust in Jesus Christ, and you'll be forgiven and reconciled to God. Totally different arrangement, totally different terms of how to interact with God. So we've got a better covenant, and we've got a better mediator. It's not just Moses, some guy, a sinner himself, walking up into the clouds, getting some stuff and coming back down. But we have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our mediator who's able to grab us by the hand so that we can boldly approach the throne of God. So that's the difference. It's not that God himself changes because God doesn't change. It's the same God. We are approaching exactly the same God, the one who was at the top of that mountain that was on fire with smoke and the lightning and all of the rest. Same God. It's just we're able to approach him with a better covenant on better terms and we're able to approach him with a better mediator, one who is able to completely forgive us for our sins so that we can boldly approach this awesome, glorious, and majestic God without any fear that he's going to kill us. See, the terms of the gospel are that if I repent for my sins, he cleans me from my sins so that I can come into the presence of a holy God. The reason that we can't come into the presence of a holy God is because we're sinners. But if the covenant and the mediator deal with that sin and Jesus Christ gives me his righteousness, and I'm able. I'm able to walk right into the presence of God. So there is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it's not that God changes. He is the same God. And I think it's very important, you know, we are here this morning. It's very important for us to realize that we're here this morning worshiping that God, that same God. The one who has shaken things in the past, and he's going to shake things in the future. When Jesus comes back, there'll be a great blow of the trumpet. If we uh, have to experience the period of the tribulation, there'll be unbelievable things for us to experience. This is a great and awesome God, and he is holy. And yet he gives us Jesus Christ. He makes it possible for us to survive. He's just as terrifying, just as great, but Jesus makes it possible for us to enter his presence So the concern of every human being as we interact with God needs to be, you know, do I really understand who he is? Do I understand this? When you're driving home today, as you are praying before a meal today, as you're laying in bed, not sleeping tonight, whatever it may be that you're experiencing, are we aware that God really is this awesome God that we read about in the Old Testament who says, look, you need to worship me in a very specific way. This is not something you just just don't wing it. You don't just make up what Christianity looks like. He's made it very clear, and we need to be very careful to do exactly what he says to do, and yet, without the kind of terrifying fear that we experience at Sinai, but with the joy and with the reconciliation that we see at Zion. So I think a good response to this we see in Psalm 145. I'll close with this. Here the psalmist David says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. I would argue that true worship relies on us understanding God's greatness. He is great. He is great. He is awesome. The psalm goes on. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Very important for us to pass along these truths about God, these stories about what God is really like so that children and future generations and new converts can understand what it means to worship God. We are coming into his awesome presence. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. That's important. I've said that to a few of you from time to time. Uh, that perhaps your issue is a worship problem and that what you need to do is go to places in Scripture like creation, like the Exodus, in order to remember that God is great because at this point, your problems are overwhelming you and you're having a question of whether or not you want to continue obeying God. So remember here, here's David saying, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. You see, here's David, the great king, the great shepherd, and he's got a visceral theology. He's not just teaching a doctrine class saying, Here's the majesty of God. Here's what majesty means. It means greatness. It means holiness. And let's memorize this for the test. (laughs) What he's doing is he's viscerally responding to what he knows about God, thinking through the great stories of the Old Testament to remember what God is like, who he is like. Whoa, if that's really what God is like, then what are the implications for what I'm doing with myself right now? I better make sure that I'm paying attention to worship him because my God is a consuming fire. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. That's only half the psalm. The rest of it is good. So let's remember... uh, Remember how the Ten Commandments were given. God is a great and awesome God. These are not just cerebral things that we need to remember and hopefully uh, keep in mind if we're in, a, if we're in a situation that calls for, for those ethics. Uh, this isn't an apologetics class. This isn't just a doctrinal experience. But God intends for his theology to, experience, to be, be experienced viscerally, to be responded to with worship, with right worship, Not just winging it however we want, but carefully worshiping and following God. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, you are mighty and awesome. You are more powerful and you are greater than we can imagine. But God, I do pray that you would expand our imagination. Help us to know you better. Help us to know you more fully. Reveal yourself to us so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth.